Hello and welcome to the D Program Podcast. You are, uh, we are here in the farmhouse without children. They're both at school. It's kind of nice, a little uh, convenient to record. Very quiet. Very quiet. But uh, I am your host, Dexter, and my lovely co-host. Sometimes, you know, as we've been working on this podcast and talking about it, sometimes I think I might be the co-host and Shannon might be the real host. So at least I've got the name of the podcast, right? I am... 100% 100% fine with you taking the lead, but I will uh, just critique and edit as I'm here. Shannon Shannon is taking the uh, wifely role yeah. and being the neck. That uh, turns the head. That turns the head. So, But it's actually been pretty fun. We're, we're both, I think, getting more and more motivated for the podcast. So I've uh, been approached by several different people who are listening. Um, started, and it, it's always real funny because... They always like kind of subtly drop it, you know. They're like, they're like, uh, oh yeah, you know, I, I listened to your podcast the other day, and so, and I don't ever know if I should apologize, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, or but most of them never have, apologize. Yeah, most of them have been saying that they've really enjoyed it. It seems like the uh, crypto episode is getting a lot of. Uh, traffic at the moment. For, oh yeah, that's for say obvious, for good reason. For obvious reasons, uh, but uh, which that was actually right at the beginning of the this last crash. Yeah, we had recorded it maybe the day after Bitcoin crashed. It was the whole Elon Musk selling his Bitcoin uh, of because of fears of uh, energy consumption or something. Yeah, as if that dude cares. Yeah, but. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll uh, throw out some little life updates real quick. We're, uh, we've now been down here, what, two months? Two and a half months? Probably three. Close to three. I it was know. at the, it was, uh, the beginning of August is when I quit. I quit August 11th. Yeah, we moved by the end of August. Yeah. Stay, still talk to the mic. I'm, I'm talking like, to the mic. Sorry, I was stretching my back. Sorry, sometimes I have to get, I almost... I almost have to get on to Shannon every single episode. You don't have to. You I don't have to. to. I choose to. But uh, so, you know, the move, the job, settling into a one-bedroom house. We were talking about, I think we're going to do a specific episode over some of the growing pains that we've been experiencing recently, which I do feel like they're pains uh, because we are growing. Yeah, nobody grows in comfortable situations. No. And I think one thing about this move that I think I under- underestimated is the amount of change. So we moved to a one-bedroom house that is also way outside of town. Mm-hmm. Also, Emmett started public school. Mm-hmm. It's just been... It's a lot of change that happened. It wasn't just like moving cities. We moved and changed a lot of different aspects of our life. Oh, yeah. And it's actually kind of crazy, too, because the boys are changing so much right now. Like, um, it seems like Callahan's probably changing at a faster rate at the moment than Emmett is. Yeah, just that but age. It's almost like a new kid every other day. You know, he's changing so much and learning so many new words. And so. Uh, a little update. We are still uh, happy, uh, whatever that <laughs> term, funny. whatever that term means. 
Surprise, um, we're happy. Yeah, uh, but it, it's been a lot of lot of growing. So, but uh, a couple of fun things that we did recently: we ran a ten k yeah. here in Stephenville. That was my first ever ten k. Uh, I've run five k's and half marathons. Yeah, that's but I've my never first two. Run a ten k, but it was a fun distance. I thought mm-hmm. it's good. it's just long enough to where you can like push the pace, but you don't have to sprint. I feel yeah. like with the three, uh, with the five k, you, you need f- to be sprinting. You feel like you're sprinting, and it's actually I'm, I'm kind of scared of that race. I'm scared of a five because people are racing. Yeah, but then you do a half marathon, and people are just doing it to finish it, mm-hmm. unless you're just really competitive. But ten k was like right, right in the, the middle. middle, which yeah. uh, I I got first male. I got beat by a, a woman who was I guess she's three years older than me, but I never saw her. She kind of. She took off and I kind of stayed within shooting distance for a little bit. And at the turn at the halfway point, she was gone. She, uh, she was fast. I think she ran like a seven flat pace and I ran like a seven twenty something. So pace. yeah, you got second place overall. Yep. Second place overall. You got first in your age group. First in my age group. I got eighth place overall. Eighth place overall, which was pretty impressive. Uh, considering how much, uh, we've been training. We haven't been training. Yeah. All which that is not, much, not a whole lot. Know? But it was a lot of fun. Stephenville, uh, it wasn't a very big race. There wasn't a whole lot of runners, but... Hence the reason we got first place yeah, in the Yeah, no joke. <laughs> Don't yeah. say that. I know, no. It was huge. It was huge. There was <laughs> a thousand people there. But uh, that that weekend, also, my parents came through town. That was fun seeing them. And then uh, I've got a buddy coming down next week. So, Caleb? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, she looked at cool. me puzzled. So. I didn't know which buddy you were talking yeah. about. Yeah, no, so it's kind of nice seeing uh, Amarillo faces in Stephenville. Um, so, but what? Oh, nothing. Siri just spoke on my computer. I don't know why. Spoke on it? Yeah, like she just popped up and said something. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, maybe she's like, you only need to stop saying um so much. Oh, that is very true. <laughs> But we, so we're working towards buying a rent house, which is kind of exciting. It's a little bit of a, you know, we're, it's funny because we moved down here. And so it's like, well, we, we now need a travel trailer so people come and visit us. So we bought a new travel trailer that this was an experience neither of us have ever had. And uh, now we're kind of trying to work towards uh, getting some, some properties. Part of the reason for moving down here was to do different things. Things that we weren't doing in Amarillo, and one of those that we've been interested in a while is rental properties, and now we just have the means and time to do it, so... So we're trying. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, And then uh, we're also... I've been... uh, Started building a new trail behind the house. That's been pretty fun, and I've tried burning out some stumps that hadn't gone too, uh, too successfully at the moment, but... So also another thing that I one of the only things that I've ever finished, I just finished a, a most recent short story. So the working title of it, and I'm pretty sure the title I'm going to post it under is called "Victims of Progress." I'll probably wait a day or two to post that just to try to space that space out my content. Space it out. Space out my content drops. <laughs> But anyway, I'm uh, pretty excited about that. I think it kind of came together. I like it. It I was uh, it's really thought provoking. Yeah, it was kind of a fun, a fun little write. Uh, and I've been seeing a lot of roadkill recently. I talked about skinning my first roadkill, right? Last episode. 
That's a very good question. I can't remember. Well, I don't know. Hey, uh, we saw a bobcat dead on the side of the road. It was pretty fresh. And I posted it on Instagram and I had a bunch of people message me and say, go get that thing. Like, what are you doing? Go, you know, go skin that thing. And so I did. And so I skinned my first roadkill, but I lost the, the, I guess. The hide. Pe- the hide, the pelt. Pelt's sure. beaver. I don't know. Anyway, I, I, I can't find it. Uh, I had. We did have some really, really heavy winds, though. Yeah. So there was a very good chance that it just got blown away. And I was kind of nervous to bring it inside because I wasn't sure if it was done smelling or not. I mean, I left it hanging for like a week. But anyway. I don't know if we just need dead bobcats in our house. Yeah. It was fun, though. Uh, it was a good experience and it was a really pretty uh, fur when it la- while it was here. Um, and now I, I went and found the skull. So I've got a bobcat skull. So it's very exciting. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of getting into bones, you know. But anyway, uh, Shannon, would you like to share a little bit of your school update? Sure. I'm trying to think of what to share. We currently oh. just finished up syntax, which of course is word order, sentence structure, how phrases connect together. So again, we've talked about language being building blocks. Well, now this is at the phrasal level. What constitutes a phrase and how are they pieced together? And how does that differ between languages? And even like the most fascinating, like how does that work in our mind? How is our mind putting these phrases together? So just pretty interesting. Do you, um, it's kind of interesting to me that everybody does it naturally, but most people do not like to do what you just talked about. Like whenever you start breaking down parts of speech and you start, you know, at least for me, you know, noun, verb, adjective, word order, you know, all that stuff uh, oftentimes is very baffling and confusing. I personally don't think the way it's taught in school is very helpful. And so I think it confuses a lot of people, which then, of course, why do you like something that you don't understand? Right. Because I think, of, of course, in linguistics and especially in syntax, we're not considering the parts of speech the same way that you do in school. We're not labeling them the same way, at least. So a noun is still a noun, but in school, what are you taught that a noun is? Person, place, or thing. Yeah, which can be really fuzzy. And, yeah, that's very, <laughs> yeah, that is very fuzzy. I mean, especially what if I said, running is my favorite activity. I mean, I mean that's called a gerund, but now that verb is acting like a noun. Mm. So that doesn't really fit. Or what about an abstract idea? I guess you can call like love a thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Loving or love. Love is a good feeling. It just gets very hard. So in syntax, the way that you look at parts of speech is basically where they are in the sentence and Mm. how they connect to words and phrases. Because a noun has a certain spot in the sentence. Right. And it cannot go anywhere in in the sentence. In English. Well... Every language will have its own syntax. Its own spot, but it will be. It could be in a different word order. Yeah. So English is subject, verb, object. Other languages are subject, object, verb. There are other variations of that. You know. Right. So. Well, I I don't want to lose any more listeners by continuing on this path, but <laughs> no, it is it is pretty interesting, and it it's funny. You know, sometimes I'll like 
look over your shoulder at when you're like when you were working on those um, diagrams. Diagrams, and it's just it's like what ugh ugh. It just looks miserable to me. Oh man, I love that part of it. They're like little everything in this class is puzzles. A lot of linguistics is just doing puzzles. Mm -hmm. You know, here's this blank thing. Now figure out how it pieces together. Figure out where these parts of speech connect. You know, figure out. It's just kind of fun. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's like if you like to sit and do crossword or Sudoku puzzles, you'd probably like to sit and do this too. Yeah, which that's that's an interesting. I wonder if that's uh, the future of newspaper games would be like sentence diagrams. Um, they do have variations of it, not probably. diagrams, but I don't know what the the name of this puzzle would be. But basically, where you just have the blanks. And mm. you might have the letters, and you have to piece it together. Ooh. I don't think people think of that linguistically, but that syntax. Mm. And, I mean, phonology. Right. Which, which letters can go together, that's phonology. Right. But then on a structural level, you know that the first word can only be a certain right. few words. And then you know, let's say you have a determiner. Let's say the first word is the. What are you going to have next? You can have an adjective or you can have a noun. You can't just have, you can't have a, a determiner and then a verb. Mm. So you have to think of that as you're trying to fill in the blanks, which people do. Those are puzzles. I have seen those puzzles out there. You could have the run. But in that case, it'd be a noun. Oh, yeah, that's true. Hmm. But so you already know these rules. I right, think that's right, what's right. interesting. People are doing these puzzles not aware of the rules yeah, that they're it's, thinking it's in their almost, head. It's almost, they, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much more. I, can. I won't, I, that's, that can be it. <laughs> well, I don't. It's so fascinating. I just wish I could relate to people like how intense this stuff can get. Yeah. Like I said, my last professor wrote a whole book over demonstratives. This, that, these, those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, the diagrams that she's doing are so intense that it takes me, I mean, it could take me an hour to try to understand a diagram, you know? Yeah. And then here we are, it's just like, oh, well, subject, verb, object, that syntax, when mm-hmm. it goes so deep. Yeah. Yeah, to to think about how a very intelligent person who's studied it for years and years and years can still find enough newness to write an entire book. Yeah. It's just kind of, uh, it is a little bit humbling, you know, standing in, in the, in the, well, not even in the same room. So <laughs> as her, but anyway, <laughs> um, so if y'all will do us a favor and share this episode, uh, review it on wherever you like, listen to episodes, uh, tell a friend and, uh, also feel free to reach out to us with topics, uh, comments or concerns. So it'd be kind of interesting and challenging. I think it'd be fun. You know, Shannon and I have our niches that we like to stay in and that we're kind of comfortable in and what, not in a bad way, not like a true, but I feel like we might have different niches. We do. That's why I said Shannon and I. Oh yeah, it's just not the same. We're oh, not, no, no, don't no. lump us in the same. No, no, box we're not in here. the same niche. We're in very different. 
niches. Anyway, um, but it would be interesting if y'all threw out a topic or something that, you know, maybe we, we haven't thought about. And that's always fun to, to face a new challenge. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. What gives you the right? Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. Let's see it. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? So stop melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. I'm the best chance you've got. Okay, so today's topic is simulations. And it's kind of funny because I was originally wanting to do this over just straight simulation theory, which I think I'll get to at the very end. But after being birated by my wife and co-host about the relevance, which I think was fair, fair point the relevance of today's topic, I decided to uh, throw a little bit of an intro. So we'll do like an intro over simulations and kind of why I think that that it's interesting and relevant to today. And at the very end, I'll just do a little snippet of simulator theory. Okay. I think that sounds good. Okay. I've been catching so much shade this week from Shannon over this topic. I just feel like there are some topics for me that just click. That you maybe mention them, and I can see it in my head, and it makes sense, and I'm excited. When you mention simulation theory, I just had a hard time clicking with it. I wasn't quite sure how to make it matter. Right. How to make it matter. <laughs> and I say that, well, it, it, I don't mean that in a bad way. It is super interesting, because in doing uh, research for this episode... Um, that is one of the main things that like Nick, uh, Nick Bostrom, who is the, he wrote the paper. It was a 2001 was the first version of the paper. And I think the ov- official publication was 2003, but, uh, he, he went on like all of my favorite podcasts. So he went on Joe Rogan's podcast. He went on Lex Friedman's podcast. He went on, um, I mean, he's been on, he, he kind of made the circuit, you know, and because he also has this institute, uh, basically where they're trying to prevent the destruction of the human race. Like that's the entire point of their institute. So they're researching different things like nuclear weapons, uh, asteroidal impacts, uh, AI, you know, all these different things that would be civilization ending things and they're kind of like is there a way there and i think particularly with ai is there a way that we can create an alignment so that this super intelligence have you ever heard of the paperclip um thought experiment yes but i can't think of it right now essentially it's like what if we created an ai and it's it, it's a machine and its whole job is just to create paper clips and it maximizes creating paper clips to the point where it destroys the entire world and all of humanity creating paper clips because that's its number one goal, right? It's not the number one goal isn't to keep our papers together. 
its number one goal is to create the paperclip, you know? So he's basically at this, I'm trying to remember what the name of that institute is. I should have written that down. That would have been an important thing. That would have been pretty helpful. Um, I actually thought it's like one of those things where I thought it would just kind of like pop into my head whenever I was in the moment. Uh, but essentially he, his thing is he's trying to, he, he stumbled onto this through, he's a philosopher and he stumbled onto basically the realization that humanity has only a couple of paths forward and it's either the complete destruction of the human species or the complete irrelevance of the human species. So he started trying to, uh, he started trying to like figure out, um, I guess it's the anthropic principle. Anyway. So is he saying that this problem that he is now seeing is specific to today? To today? Oh, it's called the Future of Humanity Institute. Is his institute. Do what? So is he saying that this issue, like humanity has two options. Is he saying that this is important or like relevant to today versus all throughout humanity. Well, and, and we'll, we'll get into this in the simulator theory, but basically, uh, are you aware of the Fermi paradox? You told me, but tell me again. So the Fermi paradox, uh, is this dude, he was at the Los Alamos, uh, laboratories, super genius dude. Um, the laboratory, laboratories. They always call it that. They don't ever call it a laboratory. They call it the, Anyway, he uh, postulated and he said, okay, well, like, if there are this many stars in our galaxy and we know that there are this many galaxies in our universe and we are intelligent life on this one pretty much average star uh, or on a planet circling an average star, well, then if even if it was only like 0.01% of the stars produced life and then even 0.01% of those produced intelligent life, then the entire galaxy and then the entire universe should be teeming with intelligent life. There should be it everywhere. And so the signs of this should be everywhere. Right. Uh, and the, the postulation, where are they then? Why are we not seeing evidence that there's all of these other, um, life forms, life forms, or uh, almost like relics of ancient civil or of uh, advanced civilizations. And his what he ended up saying was he thought uh, there must be a great filter, is what he called it, to where whenever a planet they they rank civilizations um, based off of like level one, level two, level three, level four. And each of them have different arbitrary um, classifications. But one of them is how much energy from your sun you're able to harvest. And so like a level two civilization harvests 25%. Well, we're not even, I think we're maybe a level one. I don't even think we're at a level one yet. You know, so he's, they had built this anyway. We should be seeing signs of them. And if we're not then that means that there has to be a filter that as intelligent life gets closer and closer to having 
interplanetary capabilities or the technology to harvest that much power from the sun that we destroy ourselves or that those civilizations destroy themselves. So for instance, now we have nuclear power. Well, we could either use those nuclear, the nuclear knowledge to make power plants and produce electricity or to blow ourselves up. And he's saying it's probably more likely that those civilizations end up destroying themselves and blowing mm-hmm. themselves up. So, uh, huh, where was I at? So something, even if it's just the own life forms, are preventing these life forms from mm-hmm. actually progressing. Right, right. So the the to the Fermi Fermi parallax. Okay. So, um, where how I'm sorry, I kind I was I didn't have any notes, so I kind of lost where <laughs> I was at there. I think you were just explaining the Fermi paradox and this in idea relation of, to Nick Bostrom's. Yeah, just oh, kind of yeah, introducing yeah, yeah. this idea. Okay, okay. Sorry if listeners, if that's a little discombobulated. I'm sorry. That was all from like just memory, so I I didn't have my notes on it. I because you told me not to. We weren't going to go into the simulation theory as much. So I was gonna, I prepared some other stuff anyway. <laughs> So let's let's pause. I'm sorry for the unprofessionalism. Yeah, we'll pause the simulation theory talk for just a second. Let's just talk about simulations. So okay, part of what inspired this conversation today was um, Facebook announcing that they were changing their name. Their parent company is no longer Facebook. Do you know what it is? Metaverse. The Meta. Well, it's well, just Meta. meta. But what it, that's in regards to is the metaverse, which is being powered by crypto networks. Because now you can own things in the virtual world. And NFT is a non-fungible token, right? It's a unique thing that I can own. So I can own property in a metaverse. I can own property in... I think there's a couple of different, there's actually a bunch of different ones. And gaming on the blockchain is about to explode. Because now, like Clash of the Clans, we went on a kick, what was that, probably five years ago, six years ago, where we were playing Clash of the Clans for a little bit? Yeah, before we had kids, I think. It was before we had kids. Anyway, a little- Who has time for that now? Yeah, no joke. A little group of friends- it was right when Clash of the Clans came out, and it was a pretty fun little game, and we had a little clan, and and we were doing building our little towns or whatever, and uh, it got to a point where we started having to buy gems to, and I was like, I'm not putting money into a into a uh, cell phone game, like I just have better. Well, ways. it got to a point that whenever you're playing with other people, if other people are putting in money and you're not, you can no longer compete Yeah, it, it's just at that point, you're kind of, you're not playing a game anymore. You're yeah. just getting smashed. So, so if everyone were to remain by, like, in we, the game. We were with, calling it Pure Bloods at the time. Yeah. If no you, money. Yeah, if you did not put any real money into it, and you're with only people who also did that, it could work. But the minute that people put real money into it, it's so unbalanced that you but can't see, no longer play it. see, we're about to see a huge switch with... Uh, with what the blockchain and NFTs per, um, provide, because now you're about to start getting paid to play. Like you, it, I think it's called uh, "play to earn" is the the buzzword that you'll hear. You know, play to earn, and so basically, I play Clash of the Clans, and instead of paying money in, I actually start accumulating gems 
that I can then sell for money, for real world money. Or I start accumulating, like they'll have a, let's say a sword or a potion that other people want. And then in the game, I can actually trade it. It's, uh, it's ownership, right? And so it's a, it's going to be a really weird world and it's about to explode. I mean, I'm talking within like the next 10 years, uh, a lot of things are going to be in this, this metaverse world. Which on a side note, did you ever read the book Snow Crash by Neil? I don't know if it's Stevenson Did or you Stephenson. Read it? I never read it. No, I got I got uh I think I gave it Austin Tipton, yeah. former guest. He he gave it to me and I read maybe the first like two chapters and it, I just couldn't quite I I don't think I was in the right headspace or something. It just didn't it just didn't um click they didn't click for me i was just curious because he has the metaverse in that book mm-hmm. and it's basically the same idea right well that's um so this this metaverse that they're about to build out uh it in some ways it's dystopian right there's there's been there's been a lot of different things a lot of different movies that have depicted it and so here's a few of the movies that have depicted a simulation um, off the top of my head. I kind of did a, I, I didn't do a whole big deep dive. I'm sure that there's a lot more examples, but the obvious ones, the matrix, right? Um, our computer overlords create a prison for the mind, which is the simulation of the peak of our civilization, which is 1999 is in the, in the movie. So um, the matrix was one that was very interesting and dystopian in a sense, but that was the computers imprisoning humanity. That was kind of interesting. Ready Player One is uh, a recent. The book was way better than the movie it for was. sure, but um, that's a metaverse, right? You you go into the oasis, the virtual reality, the virtual reality, and and in that virtual reality, you are somebody different. But whoever you want to be, whoever, but you're still tied. Yeah, to who I guess you that's are. true. Yeah, not whoever you want to be because you, you have, have options. You have to have money still, you know. And then, uh, did you ever see Surrogate? I never did with uh, Bruce Willis. Nope. That was an interesting one because you you stay in your room and you you plug into your surrogate, your robot that you then you control your robot out in the real world. That was kind of an interesting one. Uh, Vanilla Sky. Did you ever see that one? You can just assume that I have not seen any of okay. these because I don't watch a lot of movies. Yeah. So Vanilla Sky was with Tom Cruise, Penelope Cruz, uh, Nicole. I don't know if Nicole Kidman was in that one or not, but uh, I'm sure Tom Cruise was having sex with multiple people that were on set because he ended up, he was married to Penelope Cruz for a little while. Do you remember that? I, I don't know. This is back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, I, I shouldn't even know. I shouldn't even know any of that. But anyway, Vanilla Sky, he in the movie, he gets in a car crash and messes up his face real bad. And I think maybe his wife dies. And so he's a billionaire, really rich dude. And he ends up deciding to plug into a simulation. And they basically create a dream world for him where everything is perfect. And but the simulation goes bad. And so he starts actually being tortured in it. And it's, you know, whatever. He has to basically decide to end 
they can either fix the simulation and he can stay in dream world or now he's been asleep for like a hundred years or something like that. And he can wake up and they can fix him, you know? So, um, and then one that I haven't seen, but that you said you wanted to see. And I thought was a really interesting example of this is free guy. Yeah. The new movie out with uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. I where see that one. he is actually a video game character. And they're uh, his, uh, I can't remember what the actress's name is that plays opposite of him. She's been in like a thousand things. But um, so she is kind of like the, she's the one plugging into the simulation. She's jumping into the game. And then she meets Guy in the game who's just uh, one of these generated characters. And then they end up like saving the, I don't know exactly. I mean, I'm just going off of previews, but I thought that one was interesting because that's a simulated entity within a game that they gave consciousness to, which ties in, what, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, then just another example. I'm not sure if you're ready to move on to that, but I was going to say Westworld. Yeah, Westworld. Ooh, damn. Why did I not think of Westworld? <laughs> which I don't want to give away spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like Westworld oh. has multiple examples of varying degrees of simulation. Right, right. It's Damn. not just one world. They have they have varying. How degrees. did I not think of of Westworld I as a do simulation? Not know. Yeah, it's perfect. Well, and then I mean, you can uh, at down that line of thinking, you could start talking about like even Jurassic Park or some of these other ones where you know, in the movie, they're simulating a time period and you know or something and and then people are injecting themselves in for entertainment well and so i think too it's somebody Im- here no okay. somebody just drove by okay go ahead sorry. it's important to note that there are varying again varying degrees of simulation and some are the literal definition of simulation mm. and others are the abstract idea of simulation yes see that's that's the um that's one of the points that I was wanting to bring up is whenever you talk about simulation theory, people get really upset typically, you know, like I, I have always liked this theory just cause I think it's fun. Uh, but whenever you're talking to people about it, they start, they, they get, um, very possessive of their experience. They say, no, this is a real experience. Like you can't take that away from me. Uh, you get the same um, sentiment or experience whenever you start talking about free will and questioning whether free will is real or not. You know, people get very possessive of what they, in theory, are controlling or like maybe not theory in um, prese- uh, perspective. Um, like it feels real, you know, so it is real to us. But I think we are quickly moving into a world that is fully simulated. And I think part of the reason that I've always felt a little bit disconnected from society, alienated from society to a degree, I think that I don't think I'm unique in this. I think everybody feels a little alienated from society because so many aspects of our world are simulated. Yeah. And even like growing up, you know, going to school, um, it's almost like they were trying to simulate the workplace, you know, like they were trying, they, they were trying to 
figure out what is it? How do we trick humans into learning? How do we trick humans into conforming? I don't think it's a trick. Well, <laughs> what? I mean, it's something that I've talked about before with the education system. Let's just take English, for example, because that's what I'm interested in. What do you do from the time you're in elementary school? You start learning to write. And so you use that to write papers. So even by middle school, you're writing a paper to show your knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. I learned something in this class, therefore I can write a paper on it. There's no reason that a paper needs to be the end goal. You could show that you've learned something in a multitude of different ways. However, it's always going to be the paper. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, I think... um because they want somebody in L.A. to be able to communicate with somebody in New York. Well, because they're Some, they're already know. preparing you for the professional world. Right, right, right. If you are to move forward in any, especially in academia, if you are to stay in academia, your whole job is writing papers. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, if you're an English person, you have to write papers, you know, publish or perish. Right. And even in other jobs, you're having to write. So all the way starting in elementary, middle school, they're preparing you for the professional world. Right. You need to learn to write now. They're grooming you. Yeah. Which, in in some regards, I guess is the point. Yeah, they're you educating know? you. But also, it's also it's also kind of uh, defining what it is to be professional, defining what it is to be productive. Well, and to be knowledgeable. And to be knowledgeable, yeah. I think if we were to consider school as just a place of learning, that's very different. Now, if we consider school as a place... A training ground for... A, for future jobs. Or for a wait, a slave, wait, or a sweat, slave, wait, what do they call it? Wage slaves. Oh. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm getting all this mixed up in my head, but that's what, uh, at the turn of the century... Whenever they were shutting down family farm, or not shutting down, but people were selling family farms and moving to factories, that's actually was the term that you know beforehand you had uh, not indenture. What what was it? Whenever you lived on the land for somebody. Anyway, I I'm, thought it was indentured servants. So you work, and then you could eventually. Well, that's f- that's an older term, though. There was like a, oh, um, then I don't know. There was. I think we're getting sidetracked. Yeah, we are getting sidetracked. Anyway. I think then school could be a abstract form of a simulation. Yes, yes. But again, I also think society is an abstract form of a simulation. Right. Well, uh, a s- abstract form. Okay, yeah. I yeah. still think it's abstract. I don't think that it is a literal simulation. I think it's an abstract simulation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so some things that I think are uh, more literal uh, simulations, I would say our economic system is a literal simulation. Like, they're trying to figure out a way to get goods from one person to the other person um, and almost gamify it. You know, like, they they created this artificial structure around it to facilitate something. Like the stock market? The stock market or, I mean, even dollar bills and, you know, I mean, all of it. Sports, I think, are, you know, simulated experiences it's it's uh it's a controlled environment to where you know all of the different inputs and then you can engage with it so it's you know you have all of these rules that 
control the simulation. And people get mad if the rules are broken because then it's not a fair simulation anymore, right? I don't actually get to be judged against something that is um, non-moving or, you know, what would the word be? Anyway, I'm, I'm having a really hard time like grabbing my words today. I don't know what the deal is. But so, and I also think that there's other things, like you were saying, probably more abstract simulations like nationality and... Um, in some regards, like gender or um, how you're dressing and all of these different things, they're they're a little bit more abstract. They're a little bit more, it's kind of like... Well, I think, again, it depends. I mean, if I just look up simulation in the dictionary, um, imitation of a situation or process, and also the act of pretending and deception, mm-hmm. and then you have the production of a com- computer model of something. Right. So I think if we're just talking about maybe the act of pretending, that can give multitudes of simulations. If right. we're going off of the imitation of a situation, that's different kinds of simulations. Right. So yeah, I think our society is built upon simulations. That's kind of what we do. Everything is a sort of pretend that we all are playing along with. The minute that we stop playing along, it crashes. Mm-hmm. Which I had even heard something, I wish I could remember. It was talking about like British servants. Okay, let's say they're they're working in the house of a... Downton Abbey? Yeah, I was thinking Downton Abbey. That is actually what popped in my head, right? So you have this whole staff that's working for these... Aristocrats? Yes. I had heard that they are often the people who would play into these roles the most because they are now set apart from the rest of their working class members because they are in a house of aristocrats. So they are a little bit higher Mm. up on this chain. So they need this chain to exist because they get a little bit more power from being in this house. Mm. So if the whole chain were to collapse, they're just normal working people. It's kind of the line in the Matrix where Morpheus is like walking Neo through one of the simulations, one of the training programs. And he says, um, all of these people, there's a lot of them that are never going to be disconnected. And to they need the system and they will fight to preserve the system like this. And then even Cypher, the, the main protagonist in the in the book or in the movie he ends up wanting to go back in. He becomes an agent for the Matrix in the real world because he doesn't like the real world. He wants to go back in. He wants to go back to sleep, you know? So it is interesting. Uh, that whole concept is very interesting. I think if you're going to play off the Matrix, then there's the very, very obvious red pill and blue pill. Right, right. And that's kind of what you were also talking about. Like, if people are aware of a simulation, do they want to know that they're in a simulation or do they want mm-hmm. to just be ignorant? Yeah. Which, to even take it full circle back to simulation theory and how people get upset when you talk about it, I think that is one reason. I think there are a lot of people who don't care to know. That they don't want to know if they're in a simulation, they just want to live their life. I uh, I do feel like we are going to need to do an episode over blue pill, red pill at some point. Well, that yeah, that is a whole topic of its own. And then possibly like Michael Malice, because he's coming out with a book called The White Pill. So 
Uh, well, it's become so heavily politicized today, too, which oh, is yeah. very interesting in and of itself. I think that alone could be an episode. Yeah. So I think in this episode, it is important to clarify that we are not getting into any other definition for red pill or blue pill other than what the Matrix has to offer. Right, right. That's where we are remaining today. Yes. Let's not open up any other boxes because mm, that's just too big. Too big, too big. But um, so that being that being said, sorry, I think I lost a. Oh yeah, there it is. I lost a note. What? Could we be any more terrible today? Oh uh, yeah, probably. But uh, if people are listening this far in, it's because they like our personalities. Well, I hope that in the future, just for any audience who is listening, we are going to do better in the future. Yes. This is unacceptable. Any who. All right. So I, I wanted to give a quick rundown of simulation theory as I understand it. Um, <laughs> what? Nothing. Laughing at me. Because uh, as I was preparing for this episode, I listened to um, several different ones, several different interviews with Nick Bostrom. And it is a very deep, um, it is very deep theory. It, it's it's got a lot of different layers and levels to it. And I don't necessarily know if I'll be able to do it full justice, but I I can get you uh, to the cliff before you jump off. So, starting off, Nick Bostrom he came up with this theory in two thousand and one, uh, published in two thousand three. And it was simulation theory. And his uh, postulation was this, that there's three possibilities. One, uh, civil civilizations destroy themselves before they reach the capability of producing a computer large enough to run what he calls ancestral simulations. Um, his second uh, proposal is that there's some moral reason to not do it. So civilizations hit this point where they are now capable of producing ancestral simulations, and there's just, we, we're not there yet, so we don't understand it, but there's some reason that they don't, for some moral reason, do it. And then the third possibility is that we are in a civilization or a simulation currently right now because so one of the, one of the ways that he illustrates this is let's say you have two urns. One urn has 10 balls in it numbered one through 10. You have a second urn that has a million balls in it numbered one to a million. You, what is the chance that you would reach into the one with 10 balls? What is the chance that you reach into that one? One out of two? Yeah, so 50-50. Yeah. Right? So going into it blind, I'm just holding two urns. You have a 50-50 chance that you're going to be in the ball with, with one through 10 or one through a million. Now you reach in, grab one ball, pull it out, and that ball is number seven. Which urn do you think you reached into? You would think the one through ten. The one through ten. Because you'd have better odds of getting a seven. Right, because you have a one in a million chance of getting a seven, or you have a one in ten chance of getting a seven. So his, um, one of the things he said is, 
currently, if you're alive, you're within the first 100 billion people that have ever lived. So if you go back to the first Homo sapien to now, we're within the first 100 billion that have ever lived. Now, if humanity becomes like an Isaac Asimov novel, like Foundation, then there's like trillions of humans that live. And they spread all throughout the entire uh, galaxy, you know, uh, Tranter and whatnot. Isn't that what it was called? Tranter? Tranton? Something like that. Anyway, so there's, there's trillions of human beings. So if we are in the first hundred billion, that's the same as reaching into that one urn, you know, like you have a lot higher probability of being one of these way down the, the road than you do this. So what his pot, what he proposes is that if our civilization gets to the point where we can produce ancestral simulations, then the chances of you being in base civilization or base reality is like one in a trillion chance because they're going to produce way more simulated realities or simulated existences than they would. And now the, re- the reasoning for this is people are like, well, why would you even create a simulation? We create simu- simulations for weather to predict where the weather is going. You have to have this, sim- this uh, simulation where you have all of this previous data comes in and then the computer projects out models in the future. Which is foundation. Isaac is, Asimov's foundation. Yeah. And that I don't think gives anything away. That's literally the premise of the book. So still go read the book. Right. But yeah, if you can give giant, a giant amount of input into a simulation, then you can see what the output is. And then you can kind of predict humanity and right. the future. Like and see, So that's, that's essentially what what his argument is, is if you had the ability to, to do this, why would you not do this? You know? And, and if they did do this, then the chances that we are the hundred billion people that are existing at the beginning before any of this happens and not one of the simulated versions later is very low. Probably. Well, and I think going off of that, It sounds completely crazy, right? It's a crazy thought. At the same time, if I log into Facebook, Instagram, just get on Google, whatever, what are these companies doing? They're mining our data. They're tracking me. Yeah, they're mining my data. And what are they going to do with that? They're going to make money. They're going to make predictions. They're going to make... They're selling it, and they are also predicting human pattern. Mm -hmm. They are studying human psychology while they're doing this that way they can better market to us and better predict the future of humanity so again the simulation idea does sound crazy but there are already varying degrees of this of that exact theory happening right and we already have a small simulation called facebook and instagram you mm-hmm. know all social media that is on our phone that is used to learn about human pattern and predict the future. Right. The future with quotation marks. I mean, right. But yes, there's a small simulation theory in our pockets. Mm-hmm. And so what's, what's interesting is most people don't like the thought that they're not the base reality. 
they uh, we have a very uh, egocentric view of the world, and we want to say no. There's no possibility that I'm in a simulation because I'm real. But the whole thing of the simulation would be for the entity within the simulation to believe it is real, right? Like the whole point of it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a valid simulation if the entities inside the simulation could figure out that they were in a simulation. You know, it's just... But one of the other things that I think was is kind of interesting about this idea and, and theory is um, I've heard this term multiple times where they talk about like atheists producing uh, almost like a theological explanation um, in scientific terms. So it's like, how can we say the same thing? Yeah, that we are still created by someone. Right. Whereas Christians are going to say we were created by God. Atheists might say we're created by a computer. We're created by this supernatural computer thing that then produces our existence. Yeah. Well, it's like the question would be, how is that any different than in the beginning there was nothing? There was a void. And yeah. into that void... That's was, what I do think is fascinating is whether you're an atheist, Christian, or whatever else, people are still questioning the origin of humanity mm-hmm. and where we come from, and people are still looking for a creator. And there, it's it's also there's a presumption that there's something larger yeah. than what we currently are and what we currently experience. Which I do think is interesting that throughout history and across cultures, you do get religion well so and and this is one thing that i thought was super interesting uh the other day i was at the station and one of the, on the tv was a uh, clash of the titans clash of titans yeah i think so and it's about perseus and pegasus and i thought it was hercules that went and cut off medusa's head but i guess it's perseus anyway it was just a greek mythology story but there's this really interesting um, set, I guess, scene where Liam Neeson is playing Zeus and him and the other gods, they sit in this like throne room and the floor of the throne room is a map of Earth. And so they can like zoom in and like they can like uh, watch basically what's going on on Earth and they are outside of that, right? They are bigger and they can kind of control and manipulate and change it. And I thought it was interesting because it was like, oh, okay, so they're the Greeks or the Greek mythology was essentially proposing a simulation. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, that people have always come up with stories to explain our existence and events within our existence. And there's a, a, typically the, an entity that is... Um, exploiting us to a certain degree for some reason, you know? And I guess, anyway, so I thought that that was really interesting because I feel like there are people who are atheistic who are now starting to see the power of the computer and the power of computing, and they're starting to say, well, if we advance far enough... We can live forever. If we advance far enough, we can eliminate suffering. You know, all of these things that religion has kind of uh, 
proposed as well. Yes, for years and years and years. And they, they're, now they're like rebranding it and kind of like putting a new spin on it. But it's essentially the same thing that humanity has always kind of struggled with and, and kind of butted up against is kind of... Who created us and what happens after death. Uh, yes, exactly. Who created us and what happens after death. It, it doesn't feel like any of this is an accident. It almost feels like it's simulated. So I thought that that was super interesting. Another uh, aspect that I think is interesting is if you listen to like neuroscientists uh, talk about what the brain does, that the brain actually creates simulation. You're not actually seeing what's in front of you. You're creating... Uh, interpretation of what's happening in front of you that's useful to you that your brain is creating. So, you know, we're all living within a simulation in our brain. You know, now granted it, you can argue about the inputs and and everything and say like, well, it's obviously not a simulation because it's tied to uh, uh, objective. Well, I think going off of that, people always ask then what is real? Am I real? Or I think I'm real. To whatever extent, realness, you know. But even like you were saying, we all have simulations in our head. And that does bring up the question of reality. Because reality is whose? Well, and how many times, how many, and now this is speaking from personal experience and, and some recent experiences. How many times do you think you know exactly the situation, right? How you're being wronged how something is affecting you, um, what other people's intentions are or whatever, right? Like I have a perception of the, of the situation and I'm right. And then something comes through and shatters that semi, that perspective, right? It, I start, then I realize, oh dang, I was creating this fake thing in my head that I was then giving credence to. I was saying, this is real. Well, and I think even if you call it fake, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's fake. In your head, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. In my head, this is what happened. And in someone else's head, this is what happened. None of those things are necessarily fake, unless I guess you are just lying to yourself. But we each have constructed our own version of what happened because we're each seeing things differently. We each have different understandings of things Mm -hmm. and different backgrounds on how we're going to interpret these things. Right. So then it just does go to show that our reality is just an agreed upon simulation. Right. Right. That there is, or I don't know, I guess I would then propose that maybe there is no objective reality because who would be the deciding voice in the objectiveness, objectivity. And now we've, uh, we've retracted centuries back to Descartes because Descartes um, ground level, right? He, have you ever heard the story of Descartes, how he came to this? This, His theory? Don't know. So I'm not sure where you're going. He was pretty rich. And so he had a pretty big house and he ended up locking himself into the interior rooms of his house where he couldn't see the sun or the time of day or anything. And he had, you know, like butlers and whatever would bring him shit so that he had no connection to the outside world. And through that, he started losing connection with reality. He didn't know what was real and what was fake and what was he doing and what was he making up and, you know, what was actually happening. When was he sleeping and when was he awake? He didn't have a connection. And so what he ended up determining is, I think, therefore I am. 
Um, I exist as long as I'm thinking. I right. am real. I am a thinking, I believe is the one of the terms he came up with. And so experience is the greatest indicator that we are real, objective observers. Um, that's at the basis of Western thought and Western development. I mean, that that's what our thought is based off of. And you can even go back to the allegory of the cave where Plato's like, dude, I'm in, I'm in this cave and I'm seeing these shadows on a wall. And if you are unable to escape the chains, those shadows on the wall are what is real. That is the real world. But the second you see that there's a mouth of the cave and that there's lights and that there's all these other things, then you can no longer go back to the belief that your perspective of reality is the only is perspective. reality or is reality. Right. It's, it's your interpretation almost. Of you reality. are chained. Right. And so I think one of the things that was, that's interesting about uh, Nick Bostrom's proposal is one of the ways that it dis differs from examples like the matrix and surrogate and vanilla sky and ready player one. Really most of the examples that we, uh, that we have is that there is no unplugging, right? We, in Nick Bostrom's ancestral simulation hypothesis theory, we are, we are in the simulation and we're in, uh, extract, inextractable, right? We would, we're, uh, apparitions within the simulation. And, uh, I thought that was, kind of an interesting uh, divergence of, you know, because if you have a belief that you're being injected into a system, right? So like I have a body that's in a vat and I'm just plugged into the matrix. Then my body that's in the vat is the real me, not the one that's generated in the simulation. But if there is no body in the vat, and you're just in the simulation. Then this is real. Then this is real. This is what I actually am. I think that's am. where I always get kind of bored, for back of a letter word, with the simulation theory, is we can discuss all day long simulations. I mean, like external simulations. Am I real? Am I an actual physical being or not? But at the end of the day, if there's no changing it, then I... Don't really want to talk about it, <laughs> which maybe sounds close-minded, but I am here. In this world, I am real, and if I can't leave it, then I'm going to make do with well, what I have here. And one of the other things, too, that I think people always get worked up about, and now granted, this is me injecting into the theory. I don't, I've never heard Nick Bostrom say okay, this. Okay, so Dexter's proposal of simulation theory. So, one of my things is we might not even be the most interesting thing going on in the simulation. Like, we might be an emergent property. So, they might have been creating this simulation to watch the galaxy spin, right? So, the, the simulation is actually based off of the spinning of the galaxy. But through creating that simulation, then there are emergent properties within the simulation that end up being us. And so they might not even have anything, any care about us at all. They might, we might be completely inconsequential 
to the simulation. Westworld? Yeah, Westworld. But uh, what do you mean by Westworld? I'm sorry. I said yes, but. <laughs> that, I mean, again, I can't remember what was all given on episode one because I'll try not to just ruin the whole season for mm-hmm. people. But they're robots and they're just being exploited. They are inconsequential, I guess, depending on whose narrative you're following. They're inconsequential to the overall. Well, and I'm, I'm purpose. even, I would even um, zoom in uh, um, an order of magnitude and say, in the Westworld amusement park, there's a pile of ants in one of the corners. Oh yeah, that they still need to be simulated, and they're still there. But no, nobody's focusing. Nobody's on them. focusing on them. They're, but they probably have their own microcosm going on with right, their little ant hill. Exactly. They're they're just there as a result of having a West world. But then again, I understand this as a thought experiment and I understand it just as existential thinking. But does it have any usefulness or purpose to just the everyday person? I think one is one of the reasons that I think it is relevant to know and to engage with and to understand is because just for pop culture purposes, I mean, we are entering into a metaverse. Well, we need, we need to, um, as a society and as a species actually start engaging with the concepts of simulation and simulated and, um, even if it's just as an abstract thought experiment, I think that it it does advance. I mean, then whenever we start, um, you know, I think in another episode we'll go over. I think more specifically, Baudrillard. But that's one of the things. Anytime I brought this up, you were getting on to me and saying we need Baudrillard. We need Baudrillard. I don't and, think you can talk about simulations without talking about but Jean see, Baudrillard. But see, I think I think you you can't get to Jean Baudrillard without understanding some of this stuff. Without without letting your mind go into these thought experiments that, that maybe aren't practical every day to day, you know, day to day. But whenever you start to understand like, okay, like maybe, maybe we, maybe everything that we're looking at is actually a simulated experience. And how much of that do I have control over? Because I do think regardless of if we're in a simulation or not in a simulation, um, part of the ground level was they wanted us to have free will or an aspect of it is having the illusion at least of choice. And so I think grabbing the choice, right? It's like, um, it's like Neo was crazy frustrated in the beginning of the matrix. He's searching for something. He doesn't know what it is. He feels like he's trapped well, then Morpheus comes along and says, well, do you want to take the blue pill or the red pill? Do you want to escape or do you want to go back to sleep? Right? If, if, if Neo had not been questioning his existence, Morpheus would have never found him. And so like that, um, more yeah. abstractly, I would, I would say day to day, like if you're going to the grocery store, do I think that this is going to impact your day? Probably not. But I think on a larger scale, if you're a parent, um, what is it that we are selling our kids? 
What is that we're telling our kids? What what is it like? The way I see it, and this again, I, I hate to bring it up almost because if we did do another episode on like societal simulation, I feel like this would be long under that realm. Mm-hmm. But I'll just go ahead and preface it just in case we get there. People can come and start to think about it. I think that it's extremely important to talk about simulations, again, on a societal level, because they affect people. Who is controlling us and why and who is behind the scenes propping up the simulation, right? Something has to be running in order for it to be working. There's a computer. And let's just take America and let's just say I'm going to Target because I'm being told that this is what gives me my worth is buying these clothes and doing this shopping and whatever. Who's making these clothes? I mean, third world laborers. Mm -hmm. A lot of times women and children that are literally enslaved. But we need to buy these clothes to keep up our simulation. Well, see, and I I think that this is, uh, that's a great point. And I would say... Possibly. Now, this might be a reach, but understanding simulator theory could create uh, groundwork for you to understand that you are the simulator or you are the, the creator of the simulation in some regards to somebody else. Does that make sense? So, like, for instance, in order for uh, your narrative to operate, that narrative you're talking about going to target, doing all these different things. How many other people are now slaves to your system? Yeah. Because I, people are in a simulation and they don't know it. How many times, how many people actually question why we're doing what we're doing? Well, and I, and I'm also saying like, as a, like, um, as a result of you perpetuating what it is you're wanting, you're you're creating. A you're continuing for, the simulation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I think just to bring it back, because I do feel like we've been all over the place. We've discussed a lot of different simulations, right? And kind of given varying abstractness and different examples. So let's bring it back. I think, like you said, there is what is known as simulation theory. Mm -hmm. which is what you talked about by Nick Bostrom. And that's how we as humanity might be in a simulation right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. As you mentioned, that is good groundwork thinking in order to prepare for future thinking of other types of simulation. Yes. Okay. I just, I just want to put it out there. Cause like I said, I do think that we had kind of ran in circles with simulation. So I want to make it very clear kind of what we are getting at yes i mean the the whole the whole point and that's why i did the little intro into simulations and and pop culture around it and everything is it's all different ways of framing so plato used the cave right and what's the whole point of the allegory of the cave it's to help people wake up it's to help people see and frame their reality into a point where they, it allows them to grow and it allows them to to uh, frame the world in a different way. And so I, that's what I think. I think a lot of the movies, uh, what's, what's interesting about them is it does like create this opportunity to see like, okay, like in Ready Player One, 
is the Oasis evil is the reason that the the real world um, destroyed because the Oasis exists? Or is it an independent thing that almost uh, redeems the real world in a, in a strange way? Which, yeah, I think with the metaverse happening, it is important to, I guess, figure out what each individual thinks about these things. Mm-hmm. Ethically... And economically. Well, and to realize that a lot of this stuff is malleable. Like, I think that that's one of the things that's, you know, people just say, oh, well, it's, that's just the way it is. You but know? these are things only continue because we, we continue with them. Right. We're the ones that, like you were saying, the, the servants that are fighting for the aristocracy. Um, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of things that could change if we were to decide to put and to be fair it's putting aside comfort because there are times you know I've been uh doing some reading with um in the anarchist handbook I I try to pick it up you know every couple of days and read a read an article in it and a lot of those ideas are very challenging and part of the reason that they're very challenging is because they they uh conflict with some of the things that I perceive as giving me power in the world, right? So if you're if you're if you're wanting to submit to a system that destroys power, it's not only going to destroy people's power over you. It's going to destroy your power over other people yeah, too. Yeah, because you have value within the simulation that if you discredit the simulation, you lose your own value. It's like the servants in the aristocracy, right? Yeah. If if the aristocracy goes down, now I'm just a normal person. Which is kind of funny, being a stay-at-home mom, I feel like you're almost prepared for this better. I have no value in society. I don't make money. I don't produce anything. I mean, that's not true. Like, in in reality, (laughs) I am raising children and doing many things for them. But in the societal view, I do nothing and I don't, I don't do anything. What do you do? I do nothing. And see, this is, this is part of the reason that I like the concept of simulation theory, right? It's an abstract way of conversating about something that also attacks current power structures. Sure. I mean, it really does, right? Because you can go to somebody like I could go to an atheist and use simulation theory to attack their view on the world, right? I, look, well, let's go through this <laughs> line of thinking. Well, okay, so you believe that there's a God, you know? Or you could go to a, a religious person and use this and say, well, look, here's a, thing, here's a way of showing that it could just all be an aspect of humanity in the future. You know, I mean, it's, it's fun because it's just a way of attacking power structures, and that's what I think is so good about um, thought experiments. Most of the time is it's just a way of performing some sort of like mental gymnastics. And it's an opportunity to take yourself out of your own comfort level. And that's what I think simulation theory does really well. There's a lot of times where nobody likes to hear that your world isn't real. But in reality, your world isn't real. The things that give you value, most of those things are not real and they're not going to last. Like if you were getting all of your value, specifically speaking to my co-host Shannon, if you got all of your value over your little kids being little, 
and needing you for everything, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Because eventually they're going to become... Which I think is what happens with a lot of moms. Yes. Well, and if you are, uh, let's say you're a 40-year-old male who is climbing the company ladder. If you get all of your value from that arbitrary status, then you're going to retire and then you're going to not have anything to give yourself value, you know? So that's the main reason that I like it. And, you know, I do feel like this episode was a little discombobulated. Uh, We were probably jumping around, but the whole idea was like, let's introduce simulation. Let's start talking about it now. And I do think uh, in the future we'll do a more specific, more um, focused in episode. This is kind of a brainstorm session on simulation. Yes. Yeah, this is just kind of, well, and I mean, I wanted to introduce uh, even just a more broader idea of simulation. Like, it's it's not just, I put on a headset and now I'm in a game. Yeah, I think again, depending on the level of abstractness that you're wanting to view, there are very increased simulation everywhere you look around you. Yes. So, and with that being said, I think we can wrap this episode up. So, thank y'all for listening. Uh, Hopefully you will like, share, and subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. Smash that subscribe button. What I hear other people say. Or uh, hopefully smash the like share button. That would be cool. Uh, Because I think that's currently one of our issues that we're like trying to work through with the podcast is how do we get it in front of a broader audience. So... I think you can help us, and then we will try to do our part uh, to, to, to grow the thing, too. But thank you all very much for listening to the end of the episode, and I really appreciate it. Um, if, if, you, uh, if you have the time, shoot us a little message. Tell us what, what you're enjoying, what you're not enjoying, how we can be better, because that's really what the whole goal of this is, is to uh, become better podcasters. So, go enjoy your simulation. Go enjoy your simulation. And remember, if you die in the simulation, you die in the real world too. That, that's in the Matrix. So. Okay. All right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, enjoyed it, people. Until next time. Peace.